your thought quality is going to equal those chemicals that are running through your body. So what Dr. Anna just said was so important. And really that self-care practice, because when you open up about feelings, what it's doing is it is increasing oxytocin, vasopressin, and the feel-good hormones, the happy hormones, the dopamine, the serotonin, vasopressin, which is a, another compassion hormone and a bonding hormone, and oxytocin. So you can raise those level of hormones, and when you do that, it will automatically improve your thought quality. Welcome back, everyone, to the Girlfriend Doctor podcast. Hi, it's Dr. Anna Kabeka. I am the Girlfriend Doctor, and it is my mission and my passion to help women live better lives before, during, and after menopause. So I am thrilled to be here with you today and to welcome you to the Girlfriend Doctor podcast. This is an intimate place for intimate conversation, and we pull back the curtain on everything. We will talk about anything really to make us better people in general. No shame, no guilt, no apologies, and we're going to talk about it. Here we go. Today, we're going to talk about what not to say, (laughs) the do not say list. And I'm introducing you to a dear friend of mine, a girlfriend, fellow girlfriend. Her name is Mary Shores, and she is so unique in her approach to, honestly, her career, her occupation in as a collections agency. She really innovated this communication approach to let people know that releasing debt, paying off bad debt is freeing, is a freedom, and it's a service. And it's really powerful how she does this. She really helps people transform their words so that they can succeed and feel connected, more connected. She helps agencies do this with their customers and clients and really helps relationships in general through actually the title of her best-selling book called Conscious Communications, Conscious Communications. And it is a book that I've read in part to my daughters and I've given away numerous copies. I just feel this is a foundational, helpful book to help us. And also with my customer service team, how we're talking to our clients, each of you, and how we really are giving our message in a way that's positive, encouraging, hopeful, inspiring, because that's what we want ultimately. It's to be, you know, the shoulders we lean on, the people we rely on, a help and not a hindrance. And we want our words to hit home and heart in a way that is uplifting, kind, encouraging, and accountable and instructive and in so many ways, but positive, not negative. And her her book is a fabulous read. I do recommend it. Now, let me introduce you to the author of Conscious Communications, Mary Shores. Here we go. Well, hey, girlfriend. Great to have you here on the Girlfriend Doctor podcast. Welcome. Hey, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much. So uh, Mary, I've introduced you to our group, told a little bit about about your background, but I'd love for you to share your story and how you you got into this this field. I mean, so influential in this concept. And I love the name of your book. I keep saying to my kids all the time, is that conscious communication? Now let's think of a way to re-say this. I don't know. There's probably a better way I should be saying this to them too, but (laughs) I have used that term so much. 
Thank you. You know, I love the title of the book too, especially, you know, who could have predicted that that would have been the most perfect title. I just feel so blessed to have that because, you know, really consciousness and being conscious as a person and growing as a person is something that I geek out on all the time. And I guess because you asked me about my story, I will just throw it out on the table right from the beginning and say, I am definitely a person who comes from a pretty traumatic past in light of, I had a lot of early, early childhood abandonment going on. So as a matter of fact, I just recently found out that I had lived in like probably five different homes, maybe seven by the time I was six years old. So I was kind of shifted around between relatives. And even though I was never in any danger, that type of like moving from home to home, caregivers shifting, it has a, it has a deep impact on your psyche, especially with respect to being able to form attachments. And then when I was 16 years old, I was actually just out on my own altogether. After that, I became a teenage mother at 19. And when I had my daughter, she was born with a profound amount of brain damage. So what this looked like was that she was blind. She was deaf. She had no human reflexes. So she couldn't suck or swallow. We had to have a gastronomy tube inserted into her stomach. And she, when she was born, she was on life support for a week she was in the neonatal for a month. And then we spent a year and a half basically living in the children's hospital until she passed away when she was a year and a half. And so the thing is that going through something like that at 19, 20 years old, it's just, it put me in a position where I was really just a juvenile myself, but I was dealing with daily life and death situations. On top of that, I had absolutely no money. I mean, my boyfriend at the time, who I'm still close with today, we would literally sleep on the emergency room floors. We would see things that you can just never unsee. And that also became something, a deep trauma in my life. And, you know, from that point on, once she passed away, I mean, first of all, reconciling the whole thing was difficult because I don't, I think I was too young to understand that she had been terminal all along because when she was born, you know, the doctors said the thing about, well, they didn't think she was going to make it past a couple of days. And so I guess in my teenage brain, when she made it past that three days, like I, I just never really accepted that she had brain damage and that this was permanent. And I would go to the library and I would research stem cells and I would find out about how one hemisphere of the brain can actually take over for the damaged hemisphere of the brain. And I, I just don't think that I had the maturity to understand that I hadn't done something wrong, that I hadn't taken care of her good enough or provided for her good enough. So when she did pass away, you know, it's always devastating to lose a child, but we're talking to about a child who she was on morphine every single day. She was on phenobarbital. You know, she had so many problems. Yes. She was really suffering. So thank you for understanding that because I, 
kind of like, it was this sort of, you know, she's gone now, so she's not suffering anymore. But also at the same time, you know, it was everything I had been through. And then on top of that, when I'm trying to like rejoin normal life again, I'm doing it at an age where all of my friends are now graduating college. And so they're beginning careers, you know, relationships, they're, they're doing exciting things. And I really felt very behind in, and it didn't dawn on me like, oh, you could just go to college now that didn't dawn on me. So I just, um, basically decided to open a company and my mother had been in the collection industry. She was relocating and closing down her business And so I contacted some of the clients and I said, would you let me do the work? And about 10 of them said, yes, it was enough for me to get started. And that's what I did. I just started a business at like 23, 24 years old. Wow. That was courageous and bold. And it feels like you just had to keep the earth moving under your feet. Just keep going. Absolutely. Just looking for any kind of stability, you know, that was available to me. And, you know, back in those days, there's no way I could have predicted where I ended up being now, you know, there's, there's no way I could have predicted that someday I would write a best-selling book. I mean, I feel like I was probably the least likely person on the planet to accomplish something like that, or, you know, somebody that would be starting a revolution inside of an industry of collections, because I don't like the way that debt collectors behave a lot of the times. Yeah. Debt collectors have a bad rap, don't they? And you've really changed that. You changed the perspective on that. Like from, and you were in a tremendous amount of debt from the loss of the journey with your daughter. Well, actually, surprisingly, I wasn't because, because I was completely on welfare. So mm-hmm. when she was born, because of the level of disability that she had, you know, she qualified for Social Security. And that came with all of her medical bills being paid. And quite honestly, it had been drilled into me my entire life. Like you do not get a debt. So so believe it or not, I came out of that, all of that stuff uh, debt-free, but you would think that I would have had a tremendous amount of debt just based on, you know, everything that I had said. But the reality was I really did have a good financial education just because of, you know, growing up in the collection industry. So I guess I got lucky there. So, you know, and it's been a journey. And so then when you started this debt collecting, how did you shift into conscious communications? That's a great question. And, you know, I, I find people are so fascinated about that because, so, you know, I was going through my own, my own personal journey. You know, we all are, we're on this planet. We're in this lifetime because we're learning something. We're meant to grow. We're meant to expand our consciousness. And I guess from where I was starting out is I really started to dive deep in my early thirties into personal development and personal development eventually bridged that gap and turned into spiritual development. And so around 2005, I just became very worried about how, how was I going to have this career in debt collections and pursue personal and spiritual development? Like, how was I going to grow as a person if I'm in a job that is potentially harming other people? Because one of the things that I believe in my heart is that you should only be doing work that is humanitarian plus, you know, we should not be doing work that is moving humanity backwards. 
months. And one day I just looked at the phone and I said, I just want the next person who calls to be happier at the end of the call than they were at the beginning. And little did I know that that one moment would literally define the rest of my next 15 years and beyond. That's powerful. I think that's really cool. So that just want the person at the end of this call to be better off, happier at the end of this call than they started with. And that's powerful. I mean, we deal in my business too, in, in the social media and customer service and client interaction. Like, and I think that's, that's the goal. We want people to be healthier, happier, whole, more whole and uh, motivated moving forward. And I think right now too, with quarantine and captivity, let's call it, that a lot of emotional trauma is being triggered. A lot of negative self-talk is resurfacing. And one thing that you um, have and you write about in your book, Conscious Communications, is your do not say list. And I'd like for you to talk to us, teach us this, teach us how we can just trans transition this emotional naysayer that can, I see it in my keto green community. Well, I can't do this, or I failed five times on, on other programs. Why, you know, how is this different? Or, you know, this all like I'm, I'm set up for failure versus set up for success to shift the way we're speaking to others, but also to ourselves to help us through this emotional trauma transitioning this time of our lives right now, of this quarantine and captivity. So you have really stirred something up in me because I've got about five big concepts just like popping in my mind all at the same time. So the first is, you know, let's, the first is definitely acknowledgement that, and especially this happened for me. So, you know, I typically think if something's happening for me and I'm willing to talk about it, likely it's happening for other people as well. And so what's happened just in my own house is I've noticed that all of my personal internal issues, it's like the volume has gotten turned up on those. So if it's a habit or a procrastination or a, a negative thought quality that I had in the past, it's like the volume just got turned way, way up. And the same thing happened for my children and my, my kids are 19 and 20. And so it's like three people in this house that are in, in, in almost all of a sudden turned into this like constant, we're all in a boxing ring together. And, you know, you can have those same kind of things happen, whether it's with another person or whether it's just with yourself. And sometimes during this like captivity, I like how you call it that things can feel like there's extra roadblocks put in your way, right? So with respect to, oh, I can't do this, you know, I would, first of all, with that type of perspective, I would suggest to say, you know, how can I do this or what piece of it can I do? I would even like encourage that kind of a group to go on like a 21 day, I call it in the book, cleanser clog like a 21 day cleanser clog challenge where you just spit as many cleanses in your day as possible. And you try to eliminate as many clogs. And I'll talk a little bit more about what cleanser clog means in a moment. But going back to this thing with the self-talk. So this is the second point that I wanted to say about this. I feel like in our 
culture in the past few years, po the positive psychology movement has become very large. And I also think that, and this is my opinion, so it's totally fine if you disagree with me, but, you know, give my, give it a chance here. I think the positive psychology movement has taken things a little bit too far. And what I mean by that is we need an allowance to be able to process our emotions when shit hits the fan. Because let's face it, life is not always rainbows and sunshine all the time, every single day. And if we're made to feel that we're somehow less than because we're having negative thoughts or that our negative thoughts are drowning us in more negativity, while there is a piece of truth to that, it's also a clue that there's something that we need to process. There's some kind of trauma that is moving through us. And so if we can begin to see negative thoughts as something that is bubbling up from the inside, that's what I meant when I said, you know, the internal issues being turned up, if we can allow them to bubble up. And instead of trying to ignore them and try to put a fake positivity smile on, but actually think, why? Why do I think this way? You know, why? Like for me, I'm an overachiever, right? And I had to one day look at myself and say, when is it ever going to be enough? Like the day that my book hit number one and I couldn't really deeply feel that joy, I had to say, when are you ever going to be enough? When is something you do? When is some impact you make? When is it ever going to be enough for you? And I realized it's a deep hole trying to get filled, right? So, you know, for the audience, as you're thinking about this, instead of thinking positive psychology, I have a brand new concept to say, which is the power of your thought quality. So just think about the difference between positive thinking and the power of the quality of the thoughts you are having. There's a subtle difference here. And what I want you to understand is that the power of your thought quality is so important because that is what goes out like a boomerang and brings more to you. And there's little ways that you can begin to adjust. So let's say you're thinking, I can't do this. Like, okay, we're going to do keto. Something I've been thinking about myself, especially because Dr. Anna is a good friend of mine and I have all of her books. So I think to myself, what kind of breakfast can I make? I don't think I can't do this. And then you know what? I'm like, I really like avocado smash with a poached egg. I love it as a matter of fact. So when you can find that one thing that you can do, so I always say, focus on what you can do instead of what you can't do. Now here's the difference between the power of thought quality and positive thinking is that when you find the thing that you can do, no matter how small that is, I want you to celebrate it like it is a huge moment in life. And so what I have done is I, especially during quarantine and Dr. Kebeka, I don't know if you can see the reflection of like those colorful stickies on my window. So I have a share the win. I have created my back porch here into a share the win celebration. And what I did was I bought circular post-it notes. And every time some little thing happens, I write it down and I post it on my window. So I have literally confetti of celebrations on all of my windows here in my back porch. Now, what does that do? It is a visual cue of things that are going right. Because for me, and I don't know if you're anything like me, but my brain needs to see the evidence. I can't just wishful think myself out of a negative thought. I really need a trigger 
right? I need something to trigger that happiness track. And so when something small happens, like maybe I met a new person or I had a great call at work, or, you know, I just hired a new staff member, or I read a book that I love, or I understood something that I didn't used to understand. And I just write it on my little post-it note and I post it on the window. And then next thing you know, I'm filled with all this joy. Yeah, no, I love that. I really like the visual of that. I'm very visual too. And I think many of our listeners are, is just being able to see it, to see the influence that you're having, see the joy that you're, you're actually part of. That's powerful. I love that idea. I can see how that can make a difference. And when you walk into your back porch, you're like, oh yeah, oh yeah, okay. However hard this day is, like still, still the good outweighs the outweighs the bad. I don't know. It reminds me and um, a fellow physician here, Dr. Gowan, when I shared his office, when I went out on my own in obstetrics and gynecology. So I used his office on his off days. And he said, Anna, I, I want to show you this drawer. He said, here's the drawer of thank you notes and gratitude and things that I've received. And here's the drawer of negatives, right? As long as my gratitude drawer outweighs the negative drawer, which was nothing in there. I don't remember like one maybe thing. He goes, then I'm doing good. I'm doing good. And goes, that is my reminder. I open this gratitude drawer and, and I'm good no matter how hard my day is. And I think that that message early on was really powerful for me. It's like, okay, you know, and that's a powerful message because often survival instinct, intuitive instinct to be protective, focusing on what could go wrong versus what's all going right in our in our lives. And I think there's that precautions, preparedness, and also celebration that's all part of all part of the same thing. I like how you say that instead of positive thinking, tell me what you call it again. A powerful thought quality. Power of thought quality. Mm-hmm. It's like understanding that where the quality of your thought is, is where your power is at. So if you're in a moment of unspeakable suffering, and I've been there, and I've been there since COVID, you know, I've gone there because the other thing is humans were not meant to be happy all the time. You know, we were given a range of emotions for a reason, and our emotions are actually a communication system. That's one of the reasons I call the book Conscious Communications, because when you begin to understand yourself more and more and more, then you realize your your emotions are communicating something to you, and we're not meant to ignore them. And so when you're in sort of a moment, like when I talk about my share the wind wall, I'll often refer to it that I'm riding the wave of success. So, you know, the old wives tale of success comes in threes and, you know, bad things happen in threes. Well, there's actually some truth to that. And I started to look into biorhythms and some interesting things that show we actually do have these ebbs and flow in our energy. And so what you can do is you can begin to extend how long you can surf that wave of success. And there's some little things that you can do. And one of those is like the easiest thing to do is just recognize when some small thing happens to you. You know, maybe a friend called you out of the blue. Maybe somebody commented 
commented something nice on your Facebook. You know, maybe you got a card unexpectedly. Maybe somebody sent you a gift. Like last month, I just got all these gifts in the mail that I wasn't expecting. Someone sent me a plaque. JJ Virgin, a friend of mine, sent me a wine glasses. And um, oh, I got this from JJ right here. Birthday tiara. Oh, that's so beautiful. Gorgeous, right? I know. See, it's that- so nice. I love yeah. You should. You got to keep that on now. <laughs> we'll keep it on. That's so, that's so JJ too. Well, it is. It is. It's gorgeous. It is totally the JJ. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the thing is that you can actually, because the waves, if you think about waves in an ocean, right? The wave always comes up and it, it kind of crests and then it's going to crash right? That there's always another wave behind it. So when you do get into these moments of misery or moments of suffering or, you know, moments of even just like a lull, you know, just understand it's okay to be there. And there's going to be another wave. There's going to be that other wave of joy coming right behind it. And what I have found is you can shorten, you can extend the wave of success and you can shorten the crash by the the quality of your thoughts. Okay. And that's not to judge yourself for having a negative thought, but it's just to say, you know, what is this about? And realize this is not going to last forever. This feeling that I'm going to have is not going to last forever. And also when you understand that everything is your own choice. And so that's where the concept of cleanse and clog comes into play. Because I always say that everything you say Everything you do, every choice you make, every action you take in the thinnest sliced moments of life is either going to cleanse you or clog you. Cleanse you meaning it's getting you closer connected to whatever that thing in life you want. You know, whether you want to write a book or you want to lose weight or you want to get married or you want to move to another part of the country, everything you do that is a choice that is in alignment with that dream is a cleanse. And everything you do that is misaligned with with those goals, dreams, and desires is a clog. And so all you have to do is to think up to yourself, will making this choice, will it cleanse me or will it clog me? And then as long as like my my idea here is like the 80-20 rule. I like to be 80% cleanses and 20%, I can still make my mistakes because you know what? We were also built to make mistakes because that's how we learn. So true. So true. I'm glad you said that too. It's not flawless, right? It's um, our perfect imperfections. And I think owning that too, you know, I've realized over, especially now with understanding quarantine and the pandemic and how cortisol has been you know, triggered and it, and it fear is triggered even under the surface, especially if we've had past traumas and isolating effects or events in our life or depression, and anxiety, and that the, you know, what's our comfort, what have our comfort choices been and to be able to accept that about ourselves. And yet, like for me, I've been like, okay, well, one of the things I've been doing is a, a little bit more comfort wine. I've been traveling, as, as my audience knows, I've been on the road, yo, so to speak, with my daughter, Ava Marie. So 
on the road a lot, it's more sedentary, it's more challenging, and I'm eating out more. And also, you know, when I like to go out and eat, we're having, you know, have a glass of wine or two or three. And I started to make conditions with myself, okay, on after I've worked out for an hour, I can, you know, those days I can have a glass of wine. And so just challenging myself, okay, I know that this is my comfort, but you know, how am I, am I switching a glass of wine or dessert? Which do I want? That's such a great cleanser clog analogy, you know, like giving yourself, allowing yourself that 20% of leeway. Another thing I was thinking about that is um, I was just reading in a paper the other night. I don't even know who wrote it, but the importance of understanding your own body because all of our bodies are different. And I can tell you, and I don't know why, I mean, you're a doctor, hopefully you could tell me, but my body has a, has a very negative reaction to any kind of alcohol. I am so sensitive to alcohol that if I have one glass of wine, I will pay for it the next day. And it's terrible. And so even though I love wine, I know my body enough to know I have to say no to that. So whatever your body is telling you, you know, like if you're getting stomach cramps after you have, say, a dairy product, pay attention to that because there may be something in there that that just, you know, isn't, your body doesn't want it for whatever reason, you know? And so, but if you are somebody that you have wine and you feel great and you sleep well, and, you know, then I guess... Hey, why worry? <laughs> why worry about it? Often there's an enzyme to help break down the alcohol that can be deficient in certain like percentage of the population. So that may be it. Also sulfites and preservatives and things. Can, you, you can send me some of those enzymes so I can. Oh um, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I, I can drink wine again. <laughs> But it's so true. I mean, how we're how we're designed to makes a difference. Now, you have Mary in in conscious communications. This amazing book that you wrote. You write about the do not say list. Can you say tell us what that list is and also how it works? I would be happy to. Actually, um, I get asked about that all the time. So the do not say list. It was born out of that day. That day in 2005, when I said, I just want the next person that calls to be happier at the end of the call, I didn't know how I was going to do that. So I, I just came back and I said, all right, we're just going to eliminate all negative language. I don't even know where that idea came from. Honestly, I, I can't take credit for it because it was just one of those things. It just landed in my mind, you know? So I told everyone, we're, we're going to never say these words. And the list of words were no, not, can't, won't, however, and unfortunately. And that was the basic list. And the strange thing is my revenue went up 34%. Now, what I now know is, and of course, I didn't know this at the time, but what I now know is that when you put someone in an MRI machine and you subject them to negative words, what happens is the consequence and the punishment center of the brain light up because when we were very young, when we were toddlers, no was the first word we learned. No is actually very triggering. And so I wrote that initially as a business concept and it works really well. And I still teach it for customer service and business communications. I still teach and train on that to this day. And then when I wrote the book, it really turned into like 
how do we stop speaking negatively towards ourselves? Because it's the same thing. If you say no to another person or you say something negative to another person and it triggers them, well, it's doing the same thing when you're talking to yourself that way. And we are much harder on ourselves than we would ever be on another human being. Mm-hmm. That's so true. So instead of those words, what words do you use and, and how does that make the other person feel? There's so many things because one thing is the number one, the number one important thing when you're talking to another person is making sure that their need to be heard and understood is met. And what I mean by that is it's like we have a checklist in our mind and we can't move on in a conversation until we've checked the box that we felt heard and understood. So if you're ever talking to someone and they're sort of telling you their story on repeat, like, oh, you know, but me and my sister got in a fight and you're kind of breaking in there and you're giving advice. And then she's like, no, but you don't understand. We got in this hellacious fight and my sister did this and she did that and she did this. And you're just trying to like point out the good. And the other person just keeps repeating the story. That's a really good indication that they don't feel heard and understood. And so what you can say is, you know, I can completely see your concerns or I understand how challenging that is. So I call that a validation statement. So once you have validated the person that you're speaking to, that allows them to now move on and open up their brain space to be receptive to whatever you have to say to them. You know, but the first thing is we always want to validate. Now, how do you do that on yourself is it's actually really simple. So Matthew Lieberman did a study. He's a neuroscientist at UCLA. He's one of my favorites. That and um, He did a study about labeling emotions and that when you take the time, and this is, this is I have actually a five-step process called um, Breakthrough Your Breakdown. And it's in the book. I think it's in chapter six in the book, but it's basically like there is a self-compassion technique where if you can begin to label your emotions, like I feel, so instead of negative language, like instead of saying, I'm so stupid, what if you said, I feel, and then whatever the feeling is, I feel less than, I feel frustrated, I feel sad, I feel lonely. I feel critical. I feel this. You know, if you can label that emotion, and I actually have a feelings inventory that I use from nonviolent communication, you can find that free on the website, and I have it printed out. And I will practice that. Like, what is the emotional response that I'm having to whatever just happened? And what you'll notice, the tears will start coming when you do this. And the reason your tears will start coming is because we've been waiting for this for so long. You know, we have, humans are naturally wired for empathy and connection, but we have been alienated for that from that for so long because the way that we have been conditioned to speak and to communicate is the opposite of what will work to build connection. And so we have been taught to be disconnected from our emotions from a very young age, not on purpose by anyone. Okay, so this is not like blame your parents. This is just the way our culture has evolved. And I really believe that beginning with the millennial generation is kind of evolving back the other way. The baby boomers were all about pride and responsibility and the 
millennials and younger is way more likely to make decisions based on how they feel. And that's the way it's supposed to be. I like being in touch with your nature, being in touch with your emotions. I know I've done a lot of work on this over the past decade um, and more plus um, half my life. But I was in a, a group and a dear friend of mine said when she was asked what her emotions were originally, I mean, she needed a list. She goes, I've I've been so out of touch with my emotions. I didn't even know how to answer, you know, how do I feel that we ask, you know, where's your red dot today? What's going on? Are you angry, depressed? And you've been so used to like covering it up, like concrete layers of cover to your real underlying emotions that, that sometimes, you know, like don't even know, like I I just got to get in touch with how do I feel right now? What really is under the surface? Like you said, recognizing when will I ever be enough? When will I ever be enough? And where did that even come from for me to to recognize that and and to have accepted that lie or that story or that, you know, message? How did I absorb that? And I think, you know, this is part of the loving guilt of motherhood as you recognize these things in yourself. I'm like, what have I told my kids? You know, what have, where have I placed words that aren't uplifting, encouraging and authentic with them? What could I have done? But anyway, it really comes down to how I talk to myself, how I talk to other people and uh, unrooting those lies, anything that's not true of our, 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 our spirit. And something that I've used, Mary, and tell me how you feel about this, but I've used this in, in my coaching clients quite frequently is I, I ask them, how would you talk to your six-year-old self? How would you go back and talk to that six-year-old self? Is she, is she a liar? Is she mean? Is she hateful? Is she self-sabotaging? Is she, I mean, would you say these things to her you know, versus how we talk to ourselves or don't talk to ourselves sometimes? And, you know, how do you talk to that six-year-old self? Or if you, if your best girlfriend's daughter came over and confided in you, how would you coach her and counsel her? And now put yourself in that situation. Counsel, what would you say to your friend if she was in this situation or to your friend's daughter? I like to go to that youthful innocence as much as possible, right? And, and how do you, how do you go there and touch that spirit? Cause we know the older we get, our spirit doesn't feel any older, maybe the energy, the body, the temple, our spirits in, but our spirit is this energetic body that continues to persist and vibrate and live. And like, doesn't feel my spirit doesn't feel 54. She's feeling pretty spry and excited and loving life and loving and all those things anyway. Right. So how do we address that spiritual energy within us and, and take away these lies, the, you know, not good enough, the single mom, you know, and, and I sometimes catch myself, look, I'm a single mom doing the best I can do. I'm like, what does it mean to be a single mom? Why, why does that, what connotation is that? Am I bringing onto myself when I say that? And, you know, now I've switched it a little bit to be more of a badge of honor and still yet, you know. I think about that sometimes. Am I using am I using this single mom as an excuse? I would love to know your your thoughts, Mary. Uh, well, as normal as for my normal, I have a lot of thoughts on it. You know, the first thing is like going back to what you said about your client that couldn't even answer the question about how she's feeling. That was me. You asked me like you know they would always say this. 
Well, where are you feeling it in your body? I don't know. What a weird question. Why are you asking me that? Go back to therapy school. (laughs) Because that's how disconnected I was. So like, I was like your client. And so the the concept of asking me how my six-year-old child is, when I don't even know how my 40-year-old or 50-year-old self is, that was way too much of a leap for me in the early days. Okay. So it's like, really just the first step is letting those emotions come out. And so when you, if you feel as disconnected as I did, the first step is literally sitting down with a piece of paper and writing down everything that is going wrong in your life right now. And I don't care if that list is 10 things, 20 things, 50 things, because what Dr. Anna is talking about, that ability to step out of yourself, to have self-compassion, you won't be able to do that right away. I wasn't able to do it. So what I did was I literally, I was crashing so hard in a deep depression one year. And I told this story in the book that I wrote a list of everything that was going wrong in my life. And then when I saw the list, I was able to go, oh my God. And that was the moment I was, because it was almost like that piece of paper became the girlfriend. Because when I saw the list of things I was dealing with, like I had a tax problem, I had an employee leaving, I had, you know, all the things, my son was flunking out of school, you know, I had all these overwhelming problems. And when I was able to look at that piece of paper, I realized anybody would be overwhelmed by these problems. And then all of a sudden, I was able to have compassion with myself because I had removed that I had removed the list of problems. Another thing I noticed about this list, which I think is very important, is that 50% of the things on the list, there were 20, okay? So 10 of the things on the list were actual happening problems. The other 10 were fears associated with like catastrophizing Mm -hmm. about the problems. So like my son failing Spanish and English turned into like, my son is never going to be able to be on his own, you know? So the fears were all in there and I was able to see all of that. So I really recommend that. And then one other point I wanted to say about the feelings. And I think, I I feel like I've never said this to another person, but I feel like you're the person I can say this to. When you can reestablish that connection to your feelings, your body's ability to receive pleasure will begin to restore itself. And so I'm just curious from your perspective, is that true? Absolutely. Otherwise you have energetic blockages, right? You're just blocking the flow of energy. And so as you open up, like in the practice, when, you know, the practice of, of acknowledging, touching, you know, there's a dual side to every feeling, fear versus love, Mm -hmm. you know, health versus sickness and, you know, and, you know, these joy versus sorrow and so you have the dualities of these. When you recognize what they are, it opens it opens up. I think of this quote and that I loved that was by Khalil Gibran, because he says in his book, The Prophet, he writes on joy and sorrow. And uh, mother asked about grief. And he said, he writes something to the effect that if you look, you know, if you look deep into your sorrow, you see the immense amount of joy you had felt or experienced and so your sorrow is a reflection of that and I and own it right like when own grief own sorrow own joy own love you know own these 
differences in energy, but that releases, that creates a, a higher vibration, a higher vibrational flow and a release of energy. And it can open up the stores to also, I'm worthy of pleasure, right? I'm worthy of pleasure. I get it. I'm in touch. I can feel. And, and for so many of us, we've shut off parts of ourselves, emotion, sensation, and to be in touch with anyone can open up a chain reaction for others. I noticed that because as I, you know, as I did the years of work and it is a years long journey, you know, it's kind of funny, Dr. Anna, because when I first started this, I literally thought it was going to be one year. I was like, I'm going to take one year to work on myself, you know, and now like 15 years later, (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I feel like I've barely scratched the surface, but you know, one of the things you have to look forward to, and like, this is, this is to do with my sexuality, but all of a sudden, like I started having like mind blowing orgasms and, and I really understood that all of that disconnection from emotions, like you said, it disconnects you from sensitivity, disconnects you from your ability to even allow yourself to feel pleasure, almost like feeling pleasure is a waste of time, but it kind of becomes a feedback loop. Like the more pleasure you allow yourself to feel, the more you open yourself up to that energetic space that is going to allow you to feel more of your emotions. In fact, to the point where I had a moment where I don't know, like my higher self or something said, okay, we're, we're downloading all your back, you know, your emotions back into you. And everything was just so overwhelming. And one time I was talking to my attorney on the phone, right? You got to understand this is like a, you know, a strong corporate attorney. He's been my attorney for 20 years. You know, he's the type of person that doesn't ever take a day off. And I, I, I said, I was getting ready to end the phone call. And like you would say to a child or a loved one, I said, oh, I love you. And I was so embarrassed. But then you know what? I didn't say anything. I just was like, I love you, Art. I was like, wow. Because in that moment, I was just telling everybody that I loved them. Because I really felt that way. Because I had this overwhelming like reestablishment of all of my emotions. And then I just started to be able to receive that pleasure in my life, especially physical pleasure. And by the way, physical pleasure is free. Doesn't cost you anything. Doesn't matter if the nail shop is shut down because you know that there's certain kinds of pleasure that are free. Orgasm a day keeps the doctor away is what I like to say. So, and, and it's true as you open up to the truth of you and you're able to say, I like this, I don't like this. This makes me feel good. This doesn't make me feel good. This serves my higher self. This doesn't serve my higher self. And we have these conversations with ourselves and openly and honestly are able to communicate that with ourselves. Then we can do it with others too. And it's just like just starting. And I love what you're saying, how when you feel like you can tell you're very, you have a lot of compassion. You have a lot of compassion. And and when you feel this compassion fully, it's overwhelming. I always think, how does the Dalai Lama live in the state of compassion? Because it's so so overwhelming. You feel your heart burst. I was telling my team today, Mary, I said, one of the practices I do, I do the spiritual practices of St. Ignatius. I go in spurts. But one thing that I started from reading that work, I started saying to myself, God, just show me heaven on earth today. Show me heaven on earth. And, and as I started saying that as my morning work, I was riding, we were riding my daughter, Amira was driving back from Jacksonville. She was in the front seat driving. Her friend was next to her and Ava Marie and I were in the back seat and there, you know, Amira's blasting this music, 
vibrant, high energy. They're laughing and playing and Ava Marie is singing loud. And I just sat there and all of a sudden God said to me, like, this is heaven on earth. This is heaven on earth. And my heart was just full, so expanded with this love and joy that was here in this, in this moment I felt tremendous compassion and I was, that was so overwhelming. I just started crying. I do that all the time. I always say like, I have to tell the other people around me, like, no, these are good. These are the good tears, but that's, you know, and, and what you said about getting started is just start where you are. It doesn't matter. So if you're like me and you don't even understand the concept of what a feeling is, just trust me that just write your list of everything that you feel is broken in your life. Or, you know, maybe you're able to identify emotions. Then when something happens, ask yourself, like, how am I feeling? And start asking other people. So, you know, my, my brother, he was living in New York City and he was working in Chinatown. So, you know, there was a bad situation in New York in March and April and, and in May. It was just a nightmare. So my brother and his girlfriend, they uh, went to North Carolina for a month. And after a month, my brother, that was too domestic for him. And he just told his girlfriend that he didn't want to stay with her anymore. So she went back to New York and he moved to Hawaii. And then after, and then he went to Hawaii for a month and then he went to Miami. And so now he's been gone from her. And I told my brother, I said, you need to talk to her about how she's feeling about this distance. And he's like, oh, uh, you know, he, he, I could tell he wasn't going to do it. So one day I was talking to her on the phone and I said, how are you feeling about the distance between you and Tony? And you know what? It just opened up something in her because we ended up talking for three hours. Wow. So I just want to kind of like, as we begin to wrap up, I just want to leave you with the power of asking other people feeling questions. The best way to open up a conversation is to definitely identify, like identify someone where there's an elephant in the room. You know, you know what the elephant in the room is. So for me and my brother's girlfriend, it was like the elephant in the room was that I know there's this distance between them. And I'm concerned. So that's the elephant in the room or for, for, you know, whatever it is, everyone has different situations, you know, but to say to them, how are you feeling about dot, 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 and just let them talk and, and it will lead to beautiful places and it'll lead to that person being able to establish a connection with their feelings. Uh, that's so true, Mary. And uh, there's so much so much. I need to go through and listen to this podcast again, as I know our listeners will. So many gems in in your in your pearls of wisdom that um, I really I really do appreciate this and the stories that you tell. And it reminds me of your book. You tell a lot of good stories in your book. You share very vulnerably, authentically your stories and your journey, and that makes it just you know a fascinating read. Where I couldn't put your book down, conscious communications. So tell our audience where they can get your book and connect with you. Sure. Well, the book is available on Amazon for sure. And it's Conscious Communications. And uh, thank you, Dr. Anna, by the way, you left me a book review. I thought that was so incredibly sweet. I was touched. I get so joyed Uh over book reviews. 
Mine too. I love it. Don't you love just like checking it? And then there's like a, a, a new book review there. So yeah, I think the best thing is if you resonated with what we talked about today, please go on Amazon, check out the book, Conscious Communications by Mary Shores. Of course, I have a website, Mary Shores. I have all the social medias. Instagram, Facebook, but I will tell you my favorite is LinkedIn. So I know for business people, they, they like LinkedIn. I'm happy to connect with anyone on LinkedIn. So I will leave you with that and um, tell everyone, thank you so much for tuning in today. Oh, no, thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Mary. Thanks for your time and your wisdom and, and the beauty of your message and what you're doing and, and how, you know, just that resonating truth. I mean, we are a constant work in progress. And I think about the story you shared about your brother and, and his girlfriend, I go into the physiology. Is that, is that a physiologic phenomenon? Because when we're stressed, right, cortisol's high and oxytocin goes low. And over time, the chronic fear, stress, uncertainty, all the things that pile up on us, like our, we are, we end up in this state where cortisol is low and oxytocin is low. So we feel that disconnecting. I know I love this person. I don't feel love for them. And so getting this, like doing this exercise to get back in touch with our feelings and doing the practices to reduce stress and cortisol and nourish, like the, the nourishing practices, being in touch with who we are, how we're built, how we're designed and understanding the, the shifts in physiology, especially now in this time of stress, I'm seeing that disconnect a lot and recognizing that disconnect can be very physiologic. And, you know, we're not broken. We're, our relationships often not broken either. And it's interesting to, to see that now having been there, having been in that state of, of complete burnout and complete disconnect and, and being able to see it sometimes too and expecting it right now at this time of our quarantine and, and confinement or captivity or, or freedom or respite or sabbatical as we might like to look at it, you know, different, different ways that we can look at this and relish these times, relish these conversations, relish the self-talk and the self-awareness and the breakthroughs that we can have with each other. So I, I thank my guest, Mary Shores, for being on with us today. Please connect with her. Let me just, I got, I just have to add this because what you said was just so brilliant right now. So as you know, you're talking about the lowering the levels of the oxytocin and it's increasing the adrenaline, the testosterone and the cortisol, right? Because of the stress, the anger, all the stuff. But if you remember earlier in the show, we were talking about the power of our, the quality of our thought power, you know, yes. that this is the thing because your thought quality is going to equal those chemicals that are running through your body. Okay. So what Dr. Anna just said was so important and really that self-care practice, because when you open up about feelings, what it's doing is it is increasing oxytocin, vasopressin, and the feel-good hormones, the happy hormones, the dopamine, the serotonin, vasopressin, which is a, another compassion hormone and a bonding hormone and oxytocin. So you can raise those level of hormones. And when you do that, it will automatically improve your thought quality. So true. So true. We come from a different place when we're guided by love or ox oxytocin hormone of love than we do by cortisol or hormone of fear. And right. Recognizing, recognizing that is, is powerful. And again, the power of conscious communications. 
So thank you. Thank you, Mary. And thank you to all our listeners for being here on the Girlfriend Doctor podcast. As Mary said about reading reviews on books, please, please, we love reading your reviews and and sharing your stories with us for sure. And I love reading the reviews on this podcast. So I thank you. And if you haven't already, please, I encourage you to leave me a review to continue to inspire me. This is a labor of love and, and I love our guests as I know you do too. So we do appreciate those reviews and you sharing this message with your friends. Thank you all for being here today. And I look forward to seeing you next time on the Girlfriend Doctor podcast.